Hello and welcome to season two of the Cameron Connections, a series of podcasts brought to you in partnership with Shinty Memories Scotland. I'm Gary Innes and well a lot has changed in the world and indeed the Shinty world since our first series aired last March. But what hasn't changed is the wonderful memories and stories of some of our sports living legends and over the next five weeks I look forward to once again sharing with you more of those memories and stories told through the voices of those who lived them. And today we start with a man who literally has done it all. It's ex-player, Camerick Association President and Chieftain Donald Skinner and I started by asking Donald to take us right the way back to the very start. Earliest memory as a wee boy was I was expected to be uh, following to the tradition <laughs> because my, my grandfather was the president of Vauban Kamenach. So I don't remember exactly when I got the first Kamen, but at that time in Oban, there was a, a lot of patient played because there was no rugby. Rugby came after I left probably in the early 60s. But basically there was an under 12 competition which was very competitive. And there was, I think, five teams. The five teams were, at that time, Blue Bonnets, who I played for, Long Thistle, which was the far end of the town, beyond the port centre, the United, which was the Roman Catholic school, the Bantams, which was a team which was run by the Cooper family. You have heard references to Eddie Cooper. The Cooper family ran the Bantam. Then there was the Vargy Swifts which Swally was involved in. That was under 12, 12 aside, and highly competitive league. I started probably at aged eight, and the Blue Bonnets were the whipping boys. I remember the last two years, we actually won the cup. But I remember going home one night from Mossfield, and we stayed at Mill Park Terrace, which is up beyond school. And someone shouted, how do you go on, young Skinner? I said, oh, we scored three goals. So what was the score? 14-3. <laughs> anyway, under 12 at that time, there was the Mackay Cup. And we, of course, were totally disorganised to open high school. I remember the one competition, teacher in charge, Norman Hardy. He was the technical teacher. I was in the first year, because I was quite young, rather than primary. So he came into, uh, marched into the class where I was and said, you know, stand up all those at Prishinti. And so, of course, there's, you know, obviously two or three. And he came to me and he said, Skinner, this is Wednesday. You organise the team and we're playing Balahulish on Saturday. Now, Balahulish at that time, they were all, well, obviously, Prishinti players. And it was a two-legged affair. The first game was at Balhulish. I think it was either 12 or 14 nothing for them. And the return match was the one game I played at Malie. Now, Malie's now the town dump. But at that time, for a short period, there was a pitch there. Uh, so we bettered ourselves for nothing. But, you know, it was a case of night and day again, the, the likes of Balhulish at that time. Then the next stage was the McPherson Cup and we were in the final against King Ucy, and we lost either 2 nothing or 2-1 and we were expected to win. And the other Kai Cup with Swally was playing there, they were reckoned to have no chance. They only lost 2-1. But that was 1954, 54-55. Uh, At that time, Small areas, like St. Balhulish at Jubilee. So the youngsters were able to play there, whereas in Oban, very small areas available at that time. 
and even the, the, the there was one area which was up at the, the hydro. Now, I don't know if you've got a copy of the Open United in Sport, which along with Alan Hill, we published that. It's a pictorial history of sport in Open. Well, there's photographs from the hydro from that time, which I took actually with a wee brownie camera. But anyway, that's that. Can you remember some of the other names in the team that you played alongside Donald at that point in high school? The Open High School team, I've got a copy uh, of the, the, the team, but I forgot, to, to, you know, the day that the photograph was being taken, I forgot the strip. So I went home at lunch, no, I had a bike. Uh, so I rushed home at lunchtime to get dressed for, for the photograph. And by the time I got back, the photograph had been taken. So I'm not in it. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. Uh, no, uh, no. And so from your high school days then, Donald, let's move forward a little bit. Do you remember your first ever senior game of Shinty? Yeah, yes. What happened was we left Open in 55. We moved to Blantyre and I went to Hamilton Academy. Now, Hamilton Academy was at that time a rugby school, although... There was one or two football involvement. Craig Brown was there, and I was in the same golf team as Craig Brown and his brother, Robert. Now, then, well, the PE teacher fell a little. First year, he let me off. But the second year, he said, look, you know, you have to play sport. Obviously, the sport was rugby. But I outdid him by deciding to restart Shinty. I went to a Glasgow Sky game and ended up then playing for Glasgow Sky for the two years before they folded. That was 58, 59, 59, 60. Now, Sky, the first year, were played for them. They're a reasonable team. Yeah, they couldn't compete with Miragayo, but they were the second best team in Glasgow at that time. And they were run by three individuals, Dan Nicholson or Donald Nicholson, now, he was an uncle of Sorley McLean. He was a retired police inspector. The other one was a fellow called Willie Lamont, or better known as Bill Peel. Now, he was a baker to trade, and the peel is the stick that you put thick stuff in and out the oven. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know. This is new to me. Now, Bill Peel, you, you can see him on the 1937, which is on YouTube, he refereed the 1937 final, which Party News did.
anyway, now, Sky, then, the following year, a lot of the Sky players vanished. Now, there was Callie McLean, who died just a few years ago. He was a, an outstanding player. He played full centre. Uh, so he vanished, and the, that that year we were scraping around for for a team. Uh, you know, and very often, you know, we didn't have twelve; we had only eleven. The one notable event was with a Celtic Cup tie against Glasgow Varsity, and uh, we ended up with eleven players. Bill Peel, who at that time was aged sixty-five was in the goals. Dan Nicholson, who's also 65, was full forward. <laughs> I know. And Bill Peel insisted on taking his own by hits. Now, a member was at the sixth goal. Uh, he took it, and of course, he was the only able to hit. He wasn't a, a long hitter, put it that way, at that age. And he took the by hit and turned his back and walked back towards the goal and the, the ball was in the net before he, before, he, before he got back. Anyway, so that was... And actually, that, that, that tied in with what I, I had heard as a youngster, how that apparently just after the war, there was always... Uh, Glasgow Sky went up to Oban to play Oban Kamrach. And the rumour was that the Sky... There was a 65-year-old in the team. Uh, so I, I, I can honestly say that I played in a team with two 65-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, that's brilliant. The fact that you were playing two men in your team made up the age of 130 is quite something. Uh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But anyway, uh, Sky and Archback folded and I then went in for season 1960-61 to Mirargyle along with Angus Boyd now, Angus Boyd was a very good shinter player. He was ex-Oban Kamenach, a first cousin of John Boyd, you know, that Oban Kamenach. And a wee fellow, Muddy Cameron, uh, whose father was Oban, but mother was Balhulish, but he was born and brought up in Hamilton. And he uh, had been tutored, you know, of playing shinter with his uncle, Donald Dunn. Now, Donald Dunn was well known. So that was my start in Senior Shinty. Now, my first game in Senior Shinty was against Edinburgh Varsity through in Edinburgh. The goalkeeper was a fellow very large at the time, more or less filled the goals, a fellow minister, Ian Ewist MacDonald. And also at fullback, Gordon Mingus. Now, Gordon Mingus was the one that started doing the Shinty commentaries. Uh, when they started broadcasting Shinty. He just died just a couple of years ago in Kirk and Tillich, I think it was. Personalities at that time in Glasgow, Shinty, one of the main men was Alec McLean, or nicknamed Gaiman. Gaiman. And there was the Ian McInnes, the gauche. Now, you might remember the gauche. Oh, mind you, maybe not. He was Balhulish. And Jock and Jimmy Black from Tinnabruich. Anyway, after that, now, Middergyle in 1960-61, they won the Celtic Cup. They beat Oban Long 6-2. And Barney, Kerr Crawford, was at that time at Agricultural College in Glasgow and staying with uh, an aunt or a, a cousin of his mother's in Addingston. Now, we stayed in Blantyre 
Now, Blantar and Addison are across either side of the Clyde. So Barney and I used to train together. It was the start of you know, a lifelong friendship because I used to go down to Trevorough to stay with the Crawfords. Then, of course, the, the following year, he went down to Ayr to agricultural college there and then started playing for Kyle's. But in the 60s, I was centre against him. But Barney and I have been vet friends for years. But it's amazing how you create friendships. That at that time, Kyle's had, well, there's the two Jimisons, Chick and Jim. And Jim was a very close friend. Uh, we stayed in Strathblane. And uh, I used to, you know, refer to him as the dirtiest player I ever played against because he was a niggler. You know, he was faster than me. Had all the wee tricks, you know, to, to niggle you. But anyway, it was only when uh, he stopped playing, when he, he suddenly slowed down and he realised I could keep up with him. Now, 1960s, towards the end of the, the late 60s, Middergyle had a very good team. Uh, Alistair Forbes had joined us, uh, and Alistair was absolutely outstanding. You know, a strong player, not dirty, but, you know, you would dish it out. But my abiding memory was two years running, when we met, at that time, there wasn't an open draw in the north or the south. It was sectional. And the result was that we nearly always met Kyle's. Now, we were drawn, I think it was at Strahar, and uh, that we were leading one nothing with two minutes to go. And the Kyle's goalkeeper at that time was Ian Irvin. Now, Ian Irvin was an outstanding player, but was subjected to injuries, either a leg injury. But he came out of the goals and he went right up to full forward and ended up putting an equaliser. Uh, when I got home that night, my father laid into me. He said, why didn't you bring Forbes? You know, because Forbes was, was actually playing full forward at that time. Uh, why didn't you bring Forbes back on uh, to sit on Irvin? Because, you know, he could have coped with him. But anyway, in the replay, we lost, I think it was 4-2 or something. Uh, uh, yes, it was 4-2. You must have been absolutely uh, gutted to be so close. Uh, absolutely gutted, absolutely gutted. It was uh, the closest, you know, at that time, at that time, if you're arranging a wedding, you didn't arrange it for the last week in the season, but you arranged it for two weeks uh, after the season ended in case you're in the final and it was a draw. <laughs> so there was limitations on, on when you could get married. <laughs> I love it. At that time. But uh, You made two semi-finals, didn't you, Donald? We made two semi-finals. second one was we finished up, went to a replay, and we ended up losing the replay. And both times but to Kyle's? Against Kyle's, yes. yes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, then I just started up in business in 1968. At that time, the Mirror Girl had a, a wee for Fred Robertson, who was an ex-harrier and who took us for training. So I, in actual fact, over the next two years, just couldn't 
keep up with the, the training and starting up that, the business. So the result was that I finished up a year before the one that Canada Cup in, in 1973. Uh, I finished up, I, I wasn't you know, included, I'd given up the, the year before. So I missed out uh, on the, that. I mean, looking back at that time, Donald, how did you feel? I felt as if I'd missed out, been deprived, but I realised that, you know, my, my business was paramount. So from that point of view, Shinti had to take a sidestep. At that point, then got involved the administration. I became secretary of the, the Celtic Society in 1976. And uh, I was also on the executive of the, the Camden Association. And of course, it was 1976 that I became the youngest ever president, which uh, did two terms and was succeeded by John Billy Campbell in 1982. Just to take you back, Donald, when you were saying you were the youngest ever, what age were you? 35. 35 years old and in charge of the whole Kamenich Association at that point. I mean, that was a huge undertake. At that point... I had a family started. My son was born in 1972. So really, basically, between family, business and Shinti, my wife didn't really see that much of me. And of course, the Shinti meetings at that time were in Fort William. And other than a couple of years when Ian Cameron joined me in the executive, I would have to drive from Fort William. Remember that there was no bridge at that time back to Glasgow, uh, I remember two occasions when I thought it started snowing and I thought, oh, do I turn back, go back to Fort William or do I press ahead and try to get down to the lower ground? But again, I couldn't have done it without Willie Batchen. Willie Batchen at that time was the honorary secretary and treasurer. You know, it was an honorarium of 250. But Willie, we used to meet an hour before the meetings and we would suss out what potential problems. But Willie commanded so much respect at that time. And of course, obviously, I played my part. Because you were only 35 years old and still a young man, was it hard to get the respect of your elders in the Camerick Association at that point? No, no because I actually worked at it. Uh, in actual fact, I, w- I wouldn't do anything without assuming that I could carry the people with me. See, that's the mistake that you know, sometimes has been made. I could be described as a, a diplomat. Uh, because basically, I, I had a strong network of people. Uh, I was very pally with Sally Patterson, and he, Jock Paul of Newt Moore, and John Clark of, of Fort William. And then in the south, in Open Celtic was at that time Jock Douglas and the Strachar Bill Ferguson. But I wouldn't do anything unless I was certain that I could carry the rest of the committee. Yeah. So that, that's a mistake that, you know, sometimes some people make. got to prepare the ground before you do something. And being president of the Kamenich Association, each president is given a black-mounted Kamen, but you don't actually have your original Kamen, do you? Well, I, in actual fact, uh, we had a house fire, and I lost two Kamens, my own and my grandfather's. 
See, my grandfather was president in 1925. Now, after the house fire, I mentioned to Alistair McIntyre, I said, you know, I want to get a replacement cabin. I said, I'm prepared to pay for it. But for some reason, it never materialised. And of course, you know, I didn't follow it up. And that was until this morning? Until this morning. (laughs) I am very grateful, albeit probably the last months of my life. Uh, I've got I've got a silver magic cabin. That's the incredible thing, Donald. You mentioned there, possibly in the last month of your life. Talk us through this morning. How did it all come about that the cabin turned up and so on? Davy Hamilton, he brought it down. D- Davy Hamilton's wife is a Skinner, you know, so she's related to me. Catherine's, you know, she's she's a second cousin. But Davy Hamilton, of course, we've known each other for for many many years. And, of course, then I was involved in the Collie Association. And, you know, Davy Hamilton, he's a man of few words, but put it that way, he gets things done. He's a first-class killer. Absolutely. Were you chuffed to receive your black cabin this morning? I was chuffed to receive the black cabin this morning. Yes. Terrific. Think how sad it is for me, my heart's with anguish torn. The land of bends, I now must leave that glen where I was born. Twas through Kailak and sound we sailed, canst flood to the place a call. And steering west our course we laid, we're bound for Montreal. My heart within was wrecked with pain, and quick my tears did flow. A seeing those beloved isles arise and sinking low, and wrapped in mist is one of these, my own desire and joy. The sun er shone on fairer scene, my homeland when a boy. summer time of every year I often times did yearn to sail out west with boat and gear my livelihood to earn each evening as the sun goes down net set with a wing of sail in the early morning air it's rise we haul them back again. We've left behind our parents dear, their joy, our absence mars. They pray that God each day and year may save us from all harm and bring us safely o'er the main to land of creeks and bays. The Isle of Barach, whence I came, my home in boyhood days. I was never in favour, basically, of the Chinti Hurley Internationals, because I saw them as David and Goliath. But, you know, having said that, I acknowledge the attraction of them. That's what led to the first 
meaningful sponsorship. The game was in Glasgow. And I thought, oh, there's a large you know, Irish population in, in Glasgow. Didn't realise that the, the Irish population in Glasgow was more Gaelic football. But there was a, an Irish man that was the manager of the Ireland Irish Banks. So in our attempts to get sponsorship, you know, you had to organise sponsorship in those days individually. I got him to commit to, uh, I think it was 250. But then I found I was up against the stone wall. But fortunately, I was invited to a luncheon at the, the Bank of Scotland uh, headquarters in Glasgow, which, they, you know, that time they, they did this every so often. You know, maybe a, a half a dozen or so clients and there was obviously senior management, assistant general managers and whatnot. And I was fortunate to be sitting beside an assistant general manager who we had a common thread, family-wise. So I nobbled him on the basis that, you know, obviously I was embarrassed that uh, here I was, the main sponsors could be the, and Irish banks, which, which at that time didn't enjoy the best of reputations. So at the end of the luncheon, he said, what's your phone number? And he said, I'll be in touch. So lo and behold, the following day, I got a phone call from him. He said, we would like to be the main sponsor. I think it was £500 at that time. So I was able to make sure that it was a Scottish bank rather than an Irish bank that was leading the way. And that wasn't the only sponsorship deal that you managed to secure, was it? No, no, no. That was the first. Then, of course, the Glenmorangie one, which you know, it was interesting because Peter Cullen represented Glenmorangie and I was representing the Camdach. And it was talk about that neither knowing what to do or what to, what to say. I think it was a £1,000 to begin with. And that lasted many, many years. I think it's in the, is it the Guinness Book of Records as the, one of the longest serving sponsorship deals. Incredible. And you say £1,000 now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but back then, £1,000 was an awful lot of money. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that was right up until 2005, I think, was the last time Glenmorangie sponsored it. I was very fortunate. I was the last ever Camina Cup winning captain to win the Glenmorangie Camina Cup. And then in 2006, it had changed. Donald, what you have given the sport has been immeasurable from all your years of service, from sponsorship, from presidencies, from chieftains, you name it, you've done it all. The sport itself still continues. And where would you like to see it in 50 years' time? Well, I think I think there will always be shinty, but I can't see uh, you know tremendous expansion of it. Quite honest. You think the sport has grown as big as it possibly can? Assuming that they can break into new areas, I think there's potential growth. But you see, you're always up against with with shinty the size of the field. That was our, our biggest problem uh, years ago in, Gla- in Glasgow to get an area of that was suitable for playing shinty. Also, the cost of equipment and the, the biggest threat to not just Shinty, but all sport, is the current regulations with regard to safeguarding. So that from that point of view, you're, you're not going to get people appeared to go through all the processes that you know, are required. Yeah. So that, you know, that this applies to, as I say, all sports, not, not just Shinty.
when you think back, Donald, to your shinty playing career, give us some of your highlights and your fondest memories. Uh, Favourite shinty memories? Uh, well, obviously, beating Kyles and winning the Celtic Cup. Three occasions against Kyles, once against Inverary. That was uh, an, an achievement, uh, especially the Inverary one, which finished after regulation time 4-4, and it was it went into extra time, and it was 8-4. Uh, other than that, well, the friends I, I made, the friends I made through Shinty and who are friends to this day, and a lot of them have passed on, but one of those things that you create real friendships. I had tremendous support from my dear wife. That, of course, again, she comes from a Shinty background in the sense that her four uncles were part of the successful Locarn team and in the mid-30s. You mentioned the wonderful Meg, who has been your wife for all those years, and also the mother of your two children and subsequent five grandchildren, Donald. That's right, that's right, that's right. My, my son, he was a useful player. We started way back in, in the early 1980s, uh, in the early 1880s, uh, a juvenile team in uh, Bishop Briggs. You know, nearly all uh, sons of, uh, of former players. Now, of those, two of them turned out to be outstanding players. That's Alan McInnes, whose father was Pardy, and Robbie McKillop. Sadly, my son, although he played for Mirgaile, but he then moved to Oban, and of course approached by uh, a certain Mr Hamilton <laughs> to play for Oban Celtic, but. Uh, he declined, and he didn't play again. That was the end of it. <laughs> that was the end of it. Uh, I'm saying that because uh, David Hamilton's opposite me. Donald, some terrific memories. Thank you so, so much. And is there anyone else you would like to thank? I'd like to thank, well, all of the people that gave me support through those times because it was needed. Willie Batchen was an outstanding person. I couldn't have done it without Willie Batchen. Donald, thank you so, so much for your time and for your memories and congratulations once again on finally receiving your third Black Cameron. Okay then, Gary. Take care of yourself. Oh, I'm attempting, but it's not too too easy. Just keep thinking of the good times. Thanks so, so much, Donald, and here's the last piece of music you chose for us.
Always our God. Always our. 